You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. So this morning we're going to launch, or this afternoon, this afternoon we're launching into the series on, uh, and it's in your bulletin, a Christmas wish list. We're going to talk about that, this next uh, four services. Of course, the 22nd, 23rd is all about a carpenter's Christmas, but the others we're going to be talking about what we really wish for at Christmas. Well, we're going to kind of peel back the layers. What are we really wishing for at Christmas? And what we're really wishing for, we'll talk about this morning, is family. There's a real desire for family. So we'll be talking about that, our wish list. How many of you this afternoon, just by a show of hands, how many of you have already started your Christmas shopping? If you've already Christmas started, just raise your hand. Okay, that's about... 10% 10% of us have already started there, and most of it were women. There's a few guys that had their hands up there, but most of them are women. Uh, my wife, Cheryl, uh, who you just saw up here with me, she, she likes starting early. You know, we'll be sometimes in the mall in September, and she'll say, oh, Dave, i got to pick this up for Christmas. I said, for when? For Christmas. And she'll pick up stuff already in September for Christmas, and then we'll stack it into our into our our closet in her bedroom and you have this growing pile and she loves to be thinking about things ahead of time in shopping. Our kids make Christmas wish lists and we encourage it. We, we like it when they do that and we've always told them, you know, just write down what you'd like and we'll uh, do our best and look at it and see what we can, uh, we can pick up. I pulled out one of the wish lists. This is Lacey. She was She's not in the service this afternoon, so I can pick on her, and I'll talk about her wish list. This one came out a few years ago, uh, but she made a wish list. And a wish, by definition, I think it's in your notes, wish is defined as to feel or express a strong desire for something that is not easily attainable. It's a desire for something that is not easy to get. And so she puts together, and it really is a wish list by that definition. She has, number one was a camera, number two is a laptop. This is all what she's expecting for Christmas. Of course, she didn't get it all, but this is what she was expecting. Cell phone. Clothes from American Eagle, stitches Louis Vuitton, TNA, Chanel, Holister, below the belt H&M, and shoes. Of course, every lady has to have shoes on her wish list. Bags, makeup, calendar, new bedroom furniture, journals, books, nice-looking paper, movies, speed racer, national treasure. And uh, number 14 added later on was Nintendo DS and games. And so that was her Christmas wish list. And, of course, not so easy attainable because she didn't get everything on that Christmas wish list. But she was believing for putting those things down. Behind it, though, there's something deeper than just wishing for things. There's something more important than just receiving things. And, of course, we'll talk about that this afternoon. Christmas is rooted in family. We really wish for family. That's something instinctively that we'd like to have is family. Christmas comes about through family. Of course, we have the whole story of Jesus coming, being born into this world, into a family. Mary and Joseph, we know the story, the Christmas story, but really it's family. He came into a family. He came as a child into this world. How would you have done it if you were God and you were going to present the Messiah, the Savior, to the world? How would you have him show up? Uh, It's a brilliant way, really, to do it because he came as a child. He came as one amongst us, and who's afraid of a child? But had he shown up from some spaceship and landed with lights and all the rest of it, we would have been frightened. But he came as a child, and we, we loved him. He came as one of us. He came through the family door. Christmas is rooted in family. 
When you study this Christmas story, you also see there was attack on family at this time. We'll talk a bit about that as well. Redemption came to man through the family. Jesus born to Joseph and Mary. Jesus brings God to our understanding by using the language of the family. God is our father. He says, this is my beloved son, and he calls us children. Christmas is about family. Now, when you look at Jesus' family, if you, if you have the time this week, you don't have to do it now, but if you went to Matthew chapter 1, you'd find the genealogy of Jesus through Mary's side. It's quite an interesting genealogy. It goes all the way back to Abraham. And uh, when you look at this genealogy, it's quite, you know, I would have thought because Jesus is the only one who walked this planet that could pick his own genealogy. You don't have any choice, the family you got born into. I mean, this, you just kind of write, and sometimes children will say, I don't know how I ever got born into this family. Like, why was I born into this family? Why couldn't I have been born into that family? But Jesus actually chose his genealogy as God, God the Father, God the Son. He actually got to choose his genealogy, and it, it wasn't perfect. He came through a family lineage that wasn't perfect. And it's a sign for us, it's a story for us, that out of the brokenness of humanity came a Savior to heal broken humanity. In that genealogy, you'll find four women, and all of them had kind of an R-rated chapter in their lives. There's Tamar. Tamar, if you remember her story, she's a woman who, it's a story of incest. It's a story of, it's it's a tragic story in a way, and yet this is the lineage of Jesus. In there, you have the story of Rahab. She's a prostitute. That's in Jesus' genealogy. In there, you have a story of Ruth coming from the Moabites. They were, lived on the other side of the tracks. They were outcasts according to their people, but she came along. And then you have Bathsheba, the one who committed adultery with David, and her son dies, and her husband is murdered. And so in this family lineage, there's some dysfunction, a lot of dysfunction. Maybe you have some dysfunction in your family. I don't know of a family that doesn't have a degree of dysfunction, some more than others, but I've got good news for you. Into that dysfunction comes a Savior, and into our family comes somebody who can absolutely bring us peace and joy and has such a passion for families. I'm glad it isn't all perfect because then we couldn't relate it to him, but he, he came to relate to us, and Jesus could say, yes, my family wasn't perfect, but into this world I've come to bring you peace and to bring you joy. Christmas is a time to strengthen and protect our family ties. There's an enemy that would like to steal family. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Family is very close to God's heart. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That speaks of family. Christ came into a family. He instituted the family before he instituted the church. The family was always the divine school. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it talks about Moses' instruction to the families. Here's how I want you to raise your children. Get it in your heart before you expect your children to have it. And he gives us amazing instruction, Deuteronomy 6, on, on family. Amazing manual, the Bible, is on how to raise a family. And so if that's close to God's heart, it's not surprising to us that our enemy, Satan, would like to destroy families But he's come to give families life and life more abundantly. In the story, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, 
It's a story about people who live in a snowflake, and the village is called Hoosville. It's written by Dr. Seuss. If you grew up reading Dr. Seuss books, you'll recognize her. Maybe you saw the movie. And uh, they live in Hoosville. They're, 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 they're the Hoos. They're kind of a weird-looking group of people. But they love Christmas. And the, the Grinch doesn't like Christmas, and he doesn't like them. So he's, he wants to steal Christmas from them. And so he thinks, well, I'll steal Christmas from them because I'll steal all their presents, and then they won't have Christmas. There's a little girl in the story, and she sets out to befriend them. And in one scene, they've stolen all the Christmas presents, and they're upset about it. They think Christmas is over, but they come to a realization again that Christmas isn't presents. Christmas is family. So what, let's watch this little clip, and then we'll go back into the message. Well, I wonder who could have done this. Tell you people one thing. Invite the Grinch. Destroy Christmas. Invite the Grinch. Destroy Christmas. But did anyone listen to me? I did. No. You choose to listen to a little not to be taken seriously girl. Who hasn't even grown into her nose yet. Cindy, I hope you're very proud of what you've done. If she isn't, I am. I'm glad he took our presents. What? I. Well, I, I'm glad. He's glad. You're glad. You're glad everything is, is gone. <laughs> You're glad that the Grinch virtually wrecked. No, 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 no. Not wrecked. Pulverized Christmas. Is that what I'm hearing from you, Lou? You can't hurt Christmas, Mr. Mayor. Because it isn't about the, the gifts or the contests or the fancy lights. That, that's what Cindy's been trying to tell everyone. And me trying to tell me what is wrong with you this is a child she's my child and she happens to be right by the way (laughs) i don't need anything more for christmas than this right here my family There you go. I don't need anything more of this. I need my family. What was, what was it about, really? It was family. What do we really wish for at Christmas? If we pull back the layers, really, we wish for family because God put it in our hearts to want family, to be around family. It's instinctively in us. But there is a plan by the enemy to destroy family more than ever before. You know, there was a number of years ago, it's... it's not like it used to be. I mean, it's still there, but it's not as pronounced, perhaps, because we've just gotten used to it. But if you said, I was pro-life, that really, oh, you're pro-life versus pro-choice. And there was that big contrast. And now we just, it's part of us. So it's pro-life, pro-choice. We just kind of live with it. But there's something new that's happening now is I'm pro-family. Oh, you're pro-family. I talked to a lot of people at Pitt Meadows, and they have four children, and, uh, and he said, you know, when we go somewhere, it's like, what do you, why four kids? 
He's oh, we're just getting started. He's like, I kind of, I play with him. He's, we're just getting started. There's more on the way. And if you, if you go buy a vehicle today, it's unusual to have a big family. When I was growing up, you, you, it was, you had larger families. But something's happened that families are getting smaller. United Nations says there are 70 countries in the world today that are on an endangered list because their birth rate is so low they will become extinct unless something changes because the family, as we know, has been under attack. Satan would like to destroy family. He's got different ways to do it, but he's after the family. Make no doubt about it. And so this Christmas, I'm just saying, let's, whatever we do, let's focus on family. Let's lean into family. Let's be intentional about it. Let's make it the best Christmas possible for our family. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. It's not your mother-in-law. It's not your aunt. It's not your uncle. It's not your cousin. It's not somebody in your family that's at issue. There's an enemy who's come to kill, steal, and destroy. He would like nothing more than to tear apart families. Because God has instituted family. He hates family. He wants to destroy family. And he wants to destroy your family. And he is working overtime to do it. But we have the weaponry. We have the authority. And we have a plan where we can stand up and say, maybe I can't change what's been behind me, but going forward, I'm going to be for family. All of us have had some type of dysfunction, harm, and hurt. But I think going forward, we have to recognize that I want to believe for healthy family. We all, I, I'm glad again that Jesus didn't come from a perfect genealogy. He came from brokenness. And, and yet into that brokenness, he brings life. It's a time of the year where we have to say, you know what? I'm going to give energy to these things and to that thing and to shopping and to going to that event and that event. Just this Christmas, also say, I'm going to put energy into family. At the end of the day, this is really what I'm wishing for, is for family to be connected. The enemy has attacked it through divorce. He's attacked it more recently through redefining what marriage is. And it's no longer what it used to be for hundreds of years. We'll redefine it. That's an attack against family as we know it. There's an attack against, here's another lie of the enemy. The world is overpopulated, so we need to make a change on that. We're waking up to it. There's a great documentary that came out called The Demographics of Winter. And where they just, statisticians, not a Christian documentary, just a documentary. They said, we better wake up because where we're going, we need to change something. China saying, we need to do something about it. We had a one-child policy, and things are being skewed. We don't have a new generation to come and care for the older generation. Something is drastically wrong with the way we have tampered with what was family. Yeah, but there won't be enough food. There's this overpopulation thing. Let me read you a quote that was written. This is a book from 1968, a very well-known person on this subject. He's part of Zero Population Growth. And he wrote in 1968, he said that one-third of the American population, 65 million people, will starve to death by the year 1985. This is what he predicted in 1968. Last time I looked, the United States is not starving to death. They, they're doing okay. That's not their biggest problem, people starving to death. But this was, this was his prediction. And there's others that I could read for you today as well. That they, they predicted this, but that's not the biggest challenge. And so there was this, it was skewed, it was twisted. Stop having children. I'll be bold to say it in the heart of Vancouver, God still said, be fruitful and multiply. 
And I don't have time to go into it, but you could watch that. There was a great documentary where it just showed there's something that's needed even for the economy to be healthy is you have to have children. So we're okay, Canada, because everybody immigrates here. If we didn't have immigration, Canada would be in big trouble. And countries today that aren't having immigration, they're very challenged. Italy is challenged. Putin said this, our greatest challenge in Russia today is we're not having children. They talk about in that documentary. We have our average Russian woman, I forget the number of abortions they have, but they said one of our greatest challenges is we do not have this next generation coming up. That's an attack against family. There's attack against family through pornography, through the media, through the images that are bombarding families and children today that a generation ago they didn't see. But today, young children have to process stuff they never saw before, and it affects marriages. You know, we have these cards that we fill out, and we encourage people to fill them out, and we pray over them, and we, and we counsel with people. But you know what? One of the biggest requests on these cards are for marriages that are struggling in our own church, not just in our church and other churches as well. In March, we're going to do a conference with, at Willingdon Church, coming together with other churches. And we're all getting together as churches again to help equip the family, to build up marriages, to build up families, because we recognize the family is under attack. Christmas is rooted in family. You know, I think this Christmas, we just need to be really intentional. What can I do to strengthen and protect my family? We can't just kind of drift along and think, oh, you know what, whatever will be, will be. If the enemy is really attacking families, which he is, we have to be on guard, sober, on the alert, and say, I will protect my family. And I understand that we have people here today been divorced, or maybe it was dysfunctional, or maybe all kinds of scenarios in our church, all kinds. But regardless of that, I think this Christmas again, just like, what do we really wish for? Strong, healthy families. And I believe in a God of redemption. I believe a God who can take a mess and make a message out of it. I believe there's a God who can take something broken and restored and bring life back into it. No matter how messed up it is, I believe God can pour life and love into it and it can be changed. The greatest Christmas gift we could have is a healthy, healthy family. Amen? And so this Christmas, we're talking about that and encouraging people to do that. I, I could talk more about how Satan has attacked the family, but you would, you would, you'd understand that you'd, you'd, it would resonate with you. But let me go to Psalm 127, verse 1 to 3. We'll put the verse on the screen. It's also in your notes. Here it says, if the Lord does not build the house, build the house. The Lord builds the house. It's useless for the builders to work on it. It would be useless if we had... Next door is the Shangri-La. James Chang was the architect of that tower. Great tower, great architect. But wouldn't it be useless if they showed up and they didn't have his blueprint? We're here to build it. We have no blueprint. We want to have this tower. I think we'll just wing it. You would never build it. The tower next door is really the house that James Chang built because he was the architect. Now, we didn't see him on site every day with a pouch and, you know, a hammer or whatnot. He was the architect. They went back to his blueprints. If you've ever seen an architect's blueprint, by the time the house is finished, it's worn, it's underlined, it's marked up, it's been studied, it's been examined, and they built according to that. Unless we build, and that house is really better translated home, if the Lord does not build the home, if the people don't follow... The Lord's architectural plan, we labor in vain. 
This, folks, right here is the best manual to build your family. This is the best manual to build a home is to go back to God's word and say, God, would you show me, direct me? How do I build my family? How do I build my home? What did you tell Moses thousands of years ago? It still works today. I know I'm counterculture. I know this wouldn't fly in our schools, in our media, but this has been tested and tried, and it is true for thousands of years. If you follow this, it will work. I had somebody say, Pastor, you're so blessed. You have a great wife. You've got four kids. You have two, uh, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law. You have a grandson. How did you do that? It's just a manual. Not just a manual. It is the manual. I followed it. I'm not that smart. I'm not the builder. I've never said this before, but I am not the builder of my family. God is the builder of it. He's the architect. I'm the laborer on the ground floor. He's the architect. I just went back to his manual. No matter where we're from, no matter where we are, maybe we have to take apart some things and put it back together again, do a little bit of taking apart and then put it back together. But God is in the business of restoring families like never before. If there's something that we pray for as pastors, if there's something that is on our heart in our pastoral meetings, when we get together as elders, when we pray, folks, we really are praying for your family. We're really praying for your marriages. We're really praying. Sometimes we pray, God, help that couple get married at the right time. For those that are single, if you knew how many times Cheryl and I will pray at night for you. Pray, God, praying the right person. Don't let them get tired. Don't let them get weary. If you've called them to be single, don't let them feel condemned, God. Let them feel valued, Lord. You know their life. Surround them with great people. We pray for you. We know this is so important to you. And the only way it can really be done in a world that's so confusing, and there's so many signals out there, as your pastor, I just encourage you, come back to this. This really, really will work. Hang on to it. I know there's times where you will trust in with all your heart. It won't make sense with your head, but just trust it. Trust it. Give it a year. Give it two years. It'll start to bear fruit. You go, wow, this is amazing. Then people say, what is different about it? I say, I trusted God's word. I trusted him to be the builder of my family, of my marriage, of my relationships. Hmm. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds it, we labor in vain. Then it says here, if the Lord does not protect a city, it's useless for the guard to stay alert. If he doesn't protect a city... Folks, think about this. It's so powerful, this verse. How does God protect a city? How could he protect Vancouver? How could he protect our communities? Do we need more programs? Do we need more police? Do we need more more homes, more shelters, more feeding, more needle exchange? What do we need more of? Family. Look at that verse. If the Lord does not build a house or the home, it's useless for the builders to work on it. If the Lord does not protect a city, how does he protect a city? Through families. If the family is strong, abuse goes down. If the family is strong, 
Gangs go out of business. If the family is strong, the drug dealer's got nobody to sell drugs to. If the family is strong, the porn site has no money. If the family is strong, the schools are strong. If the family is strong, the music is strong. If the family is strong, the arts are strong. If the family is strong, as go the family, so goes the city. How does God protect a city? Through strong families. Strong families. And when... When you have a strong family, there's strength. We had a neighbor, and uh, growing up, they had a quarter section of land, which is a lot of land in Vancouver, but it's not very much land on the prairies. It's enough to turn around your cultivator, but that's about it. And, and they, had, they grew all potatoes because it was a cash crop. So all 160 acres are planted in potatoes. And they had 15 kids, 13 boys, two girls. Big family on 160 acres. It was like almost impossible to raise them on that. And all these guys, they were big strapping guys. Their, their last name was Jansen. And uh, I remember Herb was always impressed me because he could lift up the front of their tractor. He was just one of those guys who just, you know, he should have been one of those world's strongest men competitions where they pull trucks and stuff because Herb was just... And I went to work on the same drilling rig that he was on. And he was the guy who would buy an extra, extra large T-shirt. And he had to cut his sleeves because his arms were too big. And he had, I remember one time he pulled out his knife and he cut his sleeves so his shirt could go, oh, man. I said, that's a... He, but they were, just, they, were this, they were just big Europeans is what they were. And, but when, if you mess with one Jansen, you mess with all the Jansons. <laughs> and there was just this strength of a family. You just kind of knew that... If you got in a fight with one, you're going to have to face all of them. And all 17, mom included, would show up. And so there was just this strength of a family. But they were unified. And there was a strength. There was a power in a family. They were a good family, thank goodness. But as families are strong, the city is strong. But if the families are fractured and divided, the city, the country, becomes weak. There is attack against families. And really what we all wish for inside is for family. It's really deep inside of all of us. This past week in the Vancouver Sun, I'm going to make a case in point how strong that desire is. This will surprise you. But this is how deep that desire is. This is what we read in the Vancouver Sun this week. A case in British Columbia is creating quite a bit of controversies that may mean sperm donors are no longer anonymous. A woman wanted to know the identity of her sperm donor father is taking her case to Canada's top court after the B.C. Court of Appeal threw out an earlier decision that sided with her. This woman, she says, I'm going to go to the Supreme Court of Canada, but I want to know who my father is. He may have been a sperm donor, just biological, but there's something inside her that says, I want to know who my father is. And they don't know what to do with this because now we have these sperm donors that are anonymous. And, and, we have, and so as a family comes under attack, as it is, but there's still this desire, I want to be part of a family. Who is my dad? I watched the interview. She says, there's issues with health. There's issues with DNA. I just want to know who my father was. See, inside of us, there's the desire, a wish for family that goes far above any other things We want to be part of a family. God created us for family. The Christmas story came to us through a family. And all that we focus on and do, God's saying, don't forget your family. Focus on your family this Christmas. 
Remember your family. Honor your family. Remember them. Bing Crosby, 1943, came out with a hit song. We sing it, I'll Be Home for Christmas. It's about a World War II soldier who wants to make it home. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe and presents on, on the tree. Christmas trees will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas. This soldier didn't say, I'll be at the bar for Christmas. He didn't say, I'll be at the shopping mall for Christmas. Where does he want to be? Home. Where do we all want to be? At the family, at home, with a bunch of other people that love us, that laugh. We want to be home. What do we really wish for? Family. We really wish for that. We want that. And I recognize today there may be some listening say, I don't know if you want my, I don't know if my family want me home. At the earlier service, I'd read out a quote by Robert Frost. Home was a place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. And somebody at the 930 service in Pitmeadow said, they don't want to take me in. My family doesn't want to take me in. Sometimes we come from that type of a brokenness. But that's where the church should step in, where we should be saying, hey, if you're visiting from another country and you don't have a family, be part of our family. If your family is broken and you don't have a relationship and you don't have a home to go to, they don't want you there, then come to our home. That should be the church. Not just here when we gather at this place. That's easy. But out of our convenience, out of our comfort, out of even our tradition, we have somebody else who set a plate for somebody else in our homes. I think that's what Christ would want us to do this Christmas. For somebody who doesn't have family, to feel like your family. Cheryl's great for that. When we have people over and we're handing out gifts and there's somebody who's visiting, she'll go, Dave, we have to go buy them a gift. And so she'll run out and make sure they have a couple of gifts just to make sure they felt like they're part of the family and they're included. Because when we give a gift, what do we say? If I give a gift to somebody, what do we really say? What do we, when we receive a gift, what does it tell us? It tells me that you thought about me. It tells me you remembered me. It tells me you valued me. It tells me you took time for me. It tells me that you like me. It tells me that you love me. It tells me that, yeah, I'm part of your life. Really what we're looking for is not the gift. We're looking for that acceptance. We're looking to belong. We're looking for identity. So really what we wish for is not a new camera, not a new iPod. Or not new. Really what we wish for is say, do you love me? That's what we're wishing for. And we need it from family more than anything. And as we shop, as we give, let's keep that in mind this Christmas. God intended for us to give what? Peace and goodwill. Around every, I know we wrap our gifts and uh, we put them. Now, actually, I like this new style where you put it in the bag and you put the little special paper on top because when I wrap gifts, they never kind Guys, you have that problem. Like I wrap them and it never, it never lines up quite right, you know, and I, I just use a lot of scotch tape and it works okay. But <laughs> the, the back side looks terrible. The front side looks pretty good. And so now you can just drop it in a bag and you just put a little bit of stuff on top of it and it's, it works a lot easier for me. So we wrap our gifts. But really what we want to wrap them in spiritually is peace and goodwill. Let me put up a verse for you. You recognize this. This is what the angel said announcing our Lord's coming. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. On earth peace. Have you ever Googled your address on Google Earth? 
You don't have this little globe, but it spins. It goes, and it zeroes right down to your address. Well, on your address, your little piece of earth, this is 1160 West Georgia, wherever your home is, on that piece of earth, God wants to bring peace. He wants us to wrap our gifts, our life in peace, to bring peace. And then it says goodwill. That's purpose. Goodwill toward men. If I took this Bible and it represented my peace, my goodwill, and I, I put it toward Matt, it's toward him. He still has to receive it. And sometimes you give a gift and it may not be received, but you did your part. You give it toward them. Good peace. That's, somebody asks, well, you know, if God's good, why is there still trouble in the world? Why do we still have all this going on? He brought peace. Why do we have what's going on in Israel and Egypt and you name it? Because it's extended toward them. It's not forced on them. It has to be received. Goodwill toward men. This Christmas, I think God's extending that to us. When we give a gift, we think about what people need, what they want, what makes them happy. We go shopping. We make a purchase. Sometimes we spend more money than we planned. We wrap it. And then we wait for the moment for them to open the gift. And when they open the gift... You watch them the way they open the gift. You're waiting for their response, right? Some cultures will do it differently. Some cultures, you don't open it later. Other cultures, I want you to open it right away. And when you open the gift, I want to watch your expression. I want to watch how you receive it. Have you ever given a gift and somebody opens it and you can tell they're disappointed? Oh, really? I missed that one, you know? I gave my wife one time, ooh, I shouldn't tell this story, guys. I have learned a lot on how to buy gifts. You know, there's just some things. Don't buy your wife tools for Christmas. You know, you don't buy. I found out a trip to Tiffany's is much better than a trip to Revy or Rona. So, uh, but I bought her one time a book on how to play squash, the, the racket game, because I was liking it, and I wanted her to play with me, so I bought her a book on how to play squash. Not a good idea. And she opened the gift to go, oh, this is nice. Thank you. What else did you happen to get me? You know, so you, you, you're watching the way they receive the gift. But really what we're looking for is because if they receive the gift, deep down inside, we're asking this question, did they receive me? What really we want is to be received by our family. That's really what we're wishing for. I hope they accept me. We know it's not built on the gift. We know there's more to it. But that's really what's going. That's the background program that's running is we're wishing for family. We want to be connected to family. This Christmas, I'm challenging you. And all that you do, put your family where it needs to be. It's so important to God. So important to our society. It's so important all we do. In a world where the family is under attack, We want to stand up with a clarion call and say, we will fight for family. We will protect family. We are for family. We're for children. We're for God blessing families all around our community and around the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.